Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Hey, good morning. Woo. All right, we ready to go this morning? I don't know if I'm feeling it. I don't know, we'll try to, maybe we'll be there by the time we're done. Uh, do you know we're on the verge of football season? Do you guys know I'm like, yay. Uh, I mean, you know, it's tough here in Columbia lately. I get it. Um, But no, I mean, this is great. So, you know, football starts next month is uh, college football starts. um, Professional football preseason starts next month. I love football, so I'm actually looking forward to football, which also means your sermon illustrations are about to change. uh, Just so, you know, for the next few months, but it'll be fun. Uh, Anyway, so here we are. If you have your Bibles handy, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 12. So I'm teaching through the whole book of 1 Samuel. The thing about 1 Samuel chapter 12, and it does connect to this whole idea of the, the football stuff. So if you have a football coach who's been at a uh, particular school, they call it a program, who's been at a particular program for uh, a number of years, uh, and he retires, he steps aside. Like, football coaches never really stop being football coaches. They just stop being football coaches at a particular place. And so they may leave there, but then they're still going to be uh, consulted. Uh, they will still be an announcer or a commentator of some sort. Uh, like, they just, they never really leave the game. So how this ties into 1 Samuel chapter 12, you have a title probably over 1 Samuel chapter 12 in your Bibles. And the title, mine says, Samuel's Farewell Address. Uh, And this has to do with the transition that's occurring between Samuel being the voice of God and God being basically the king of Israel to now it's going to be a a, a human king, Saul, and Samuel's going to step to the background. So we're kind of in the transition period here between the two. And so that's kind of what's going on. That's why it says this. Um, But then when a, a football coach leaves, he does leave something behind. And what he leaves behind at the school he's been at is something called a legacy. Uh, so the legacy is what you leave behind. That's, that's what it is. And so there's this idea now that Samuel is going to, in this chapter 12, reflect upon his legacy. Like, what am I leaving behind? As I leave behind, how am I being known? How will I be remembered? It's actually something, I'm getting to the point in life now where I'm starting to think about my legacy, like what is going to be left? When I'm done, what are people going to say about me? Uh, and what I want to hear that, I don't know. So anyway, uh, so now we have this handoff going on. Israel is about to f- fully step into a monarchy and uh, have a king step in. Sam is going to be stepping back, though he never really retires. So when a football coach steps out, the thing that we think about is like the numbers. What are the stats? And so uh, Samuel's going to share with us some stats from his journey. So go to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We'll read the first five verses. So uh, Samuel said to all Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you've said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I'm old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. They said, you've not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. All right, so in this transitioning speech here, it actually becomes like a legal proceeding. And so it's kind of weird that he stands up and he's using those terms, you know, uh, bear witness, who have I defrauded? So he gives out this litany of things, his summary of his life. He's like, look, you have a king, 
I'm old. Uh, I don't know how old is old. Uh, you know, it's funny because he, he says I'm old and gray. You know, like I, maybe when you get gray hair, that's when you're old. Uh, so I wonder if you diet though, does that make you young? Uh, it'd be nice to think so. Uh, but anyway, so he's here struggling with this. I'm old. Uh, I'm leaving you my sons, but unfortunately that's small consolation because his sons don't really walk with the Lord. Um, he says, but you've seen my whole life. Testify against me if I wronged anybody. And they're like, no, you're, you're good. You're totally good. And then he's like, all right, as God is my witness, then I'm innocent before you all. And I just think there's something bold about that. To get to a point in your life where you'll stand before all of those who know you well and go, all right, you've seen my whole life. How'd I do? Do pretty good? <laughs> Everybody's like, uh, you're great. And he's like, all right, then we're great. Like, that would be interesting to do at, like, your retirement party someday, you know, because like, I'm retiring. But then I thought, too, what if we would grade people at their funerals? You know, wouldn't that make it, it'd make it more fun, right? It's like, here lies Bob. All right, what kind of grade would we give him? You know, like, I got some things I like to say, you know, or maybe, maybe life's just pass fail. But uh, I don't know. So this whole idea of, of later in life, letting people review. But then I did want to point out one thing. So at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 12, he says, behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you've said to me, and I have made a king over you. Now, the people have asked for a particular type of king, and this was the problem in what they wanted. They said, we want a king, and then what was the other phrase added onto that? We want a king like the other nations. Like, this, that's a problem. You don't want a king like the other nations. You have a God who's unlike all the other nations. Uh, why, why would you want a king like the other nations? And so when Samuel talks about this, he just says, I gave you a king. He doesn't mention I gave you a king like the other nations. Now, I don't know if there's something implied in the, the absence of that phrase, but I do know this, that God has a plan for the monarchy in Israel, and it does not involve giving them a king like the other nations. It involves giving them a king very unlike those of other nations, because on the heels of Saul will be David. And David for the most part, is not a king like the other uh, nations. He's a, a king who really loves the Lord uh, with a couple of uh, problems. But anyway, uh, so now we're going to move forward in our story just a little bit, and Samuel has a challenge for them, starting at verse 6. And Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. All right, so now Samuel just wants to walk back a little bit through their history. So this is kind of a history lesson. And, uh, and Samuel very much linking himself with Moses and Aaron, which I think is interesting. Even when it comes to the deliverers, he, give a, he gives a list of the judges who appear, uh, some of them, not all of them, some of the people from the, the book of Judges. And then he puts himself in there. Like you've been delivered by this judge, this judge, this judge, and Samuel. And I just think it's so cool. Like, he just knows he's one of the, the big guys. Like, God's done significant work in his life. And it's, 
funny to me when people have this awareness of who they are um, in the sense that like I have a friend of mine who's a, a pastor. He's a very gifted speaker. Like you would love him if he were preaching today. And so uh, very gifted at it. And I was talking to him one day and he said to me just like offhandedly, he's like, well, I know I'm a really gifted teacher. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, you're a really gifted teacher. And uh, he's like, no, he's like, I'm not, I'm not bragging. He's like, I just know God's gifted me in this way. And I've been affirmed in that gift. And so I'm a gifted teacher. And, uh, and then I thought about, I've thought about that actually a lot since he said that to me. And I was like, yeah, there's really, I suppose there's nothing really prideful about just knowing how God has wired you. Uh, in fact, in scripture, uh, Moses writes about himself that he was the most humble man in all the earth. So, I mean... <laughs> You know, if Moses can write that, then I guess you can have an awareness. So anyway, Samuel puts himself on this level. So what he does now is he walks back through the people and he, he's like this. He's like, all right, you see how like, like Israel historically, not just you, Israel, who you've also done this, but your ancestors did the same thing. Rebelled against God, God punished them. They would cry out, they would uh, cry out for deliverance and repent of their sin and then God would deliver them. And then they would fall back into sin. And that's, that's what he's doing. He's kind of going through their history a little bit. Uh, and then he gets into like what we would read in the book of Judges. And he's like, you remember the, these are the bad guys that rose up. And, so, and the Judges, the book of the Judges, is this whole cycle over and over again. Israel sinned. Uh, when, he sin, when they sinned, God disciplined them. When they were disciplined, they would cry out for deliverance. When they cried out for deliverance, God would deliver them. And then they would start all over again with sin. And this, this comment about you're always turning to the Baals, you're always turning to the Ashtaroth, it's a reference to just false gods. And so it's just kind of, a, you can use that as a summary of all false gods. Like, why do you keep turning to false gods when you know that it is the one true God who delivers you? Like, what, what in the world are you doing? So, and, and then the sense in the midst of that, as much as you've chafed against the Lord, as much you've, as you've fought the Lord, He's still gracious. He's still kind. He's still forgiving. If you'll turn to him, he still loves you. And it's this reminder then that real national deliverance, and he makes this comment about the king even, like real national deliverance doesn't come from a man. It comes from God. And the only time Israel's gonna be right is not by trying to fix their king situation or be able to fight their battles. It's like, is when they're gonna turn to the Lord. So now I, I do think there's a direct parallel for, uh, for us. Like, like when we get frustrated with our nation, and I don't meet a lot of people who are like, yeah, we're doing it right. Like, like whenever you get frustrated with your nation, the only real deliverance we're ever gonna have for this nation is when we corporately turn to the Lord. That's it. Like we're not gonna vote into office God's will, right? That's just not gonna happen. We've got to turn to the Lord. And so that's our appeal. Uh, and it was his appeal too. Like if you'll turn to the Lord, uh, you're gonna be where you need to be and God will work with you. And then he talks about some conditions here. So, so this is kind of a, a winning and losing condition here. Verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice. So I like those three there. If you'll fear, if you'll serve, you'll obey. If you'll fear the Lord, serve the Lord, obey the voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. So the promise then, if you'll fear the Lord, serve the Lord, obey the Lord, don't sin against him, don't rebel against him, it will be well. But then also notice this intertwining with them and the king. Like if you'll do all these things and then your king, then everything's gonna be good for you. And you're gonna notice this, even by the time we're done with the end of this chapter, is that the king is kind of interwoven with this thing. So it's like, if you guys are great and your king is great, it's gonna be great. If you're disobedient, your king's disobedient, yeah, things are gonna fall apart. And then before we're done, you'll see another reference to them and the king being intertwined. So there was this interesting thing about, like even if you as a nation are doing great, if your king goes off the rails, you're all in trouble. And like, well, okay, that makes sense. Um, but this, this intertwining of the two. But I love the, the conditional blessing mentioned there. And I would even say this for you. Like that conditional blessing still, still applies. If you're saying, if you would say to me, 
How do I live the kind of life where I really, I consistently feel the blessing of the Lord? All right, I would say fear the Lord, serve the Lord, obey his voice. Don't sin against him. Like if you'll do those things, those are natural ingredients for blessing. Like if you'll walk in the way of the Lord, if you'll be obedient to what the Lord has commanded, and to do that, of course, you'll have to know scripture, um, you'll live the best kind of life possible. Yeah, like if you, you seek to submit yourself in all the things of the Lord, you will live the best kind of life possible. Uh, but there's a, there's a contrast to that. The contrast comes in verse 15. Look at verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. All right, so we have this prescription for blessing. Now we have a prescription for uh, punishment. And it's just that he's saying this. You don't want to be on the bad side of God. So, so people who fight the Lord, they suffer. If you don't obey, if you rebel against the command of the Lord, then he's going to be against you. So the hand of God is against those who are rebellious. Now, actually, I think we could say we've seen that. Like, like just in life, we've seen that. And some of us would say we've experienced it. I mean, have you ever gone through a season where you know you were being rebellious, rebellious of heart, rebellious of mind, you were sinning against the Lord, and just life got really hard for you? Like, that is... That is how it works. And you could say, like, is God directly punishing me? Well, maybe not, maybe not even that. He's just set the universe up to work that when we follow his will, we tend to be blessed. And when you are disobedient, you tend to suffer. That's just normally how it is. Uh, and then, of course, then I was thinking about this too. Like if somebody said, I'm going through a really hard season of life right now. I wonder if God's punishing me because of something I'm doing. Well, I mean, you know, maybe. I don't know your life. But it's also possible that you could really be living a, living a God-honoring life and yet be going through difficulty because this world is broken and we're surrounded by broken people. Um, I think about Job in the, the scripture. Job is this guy who's totally righteous and goes through horrible stuff. And it has nothing to do with his character. It's just that he lives in a broken world. Uh, but everybody around him is saying, well, you must have sinned against the Lord. So, I mean, we do have to be a little careful here. But just as a general, when you obey the Lord, there's blessing. When you're disobedient, you experience punishment or frustration. All right. So now it's time for a wake-up call. Go to verse 16. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see what your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So the idea being expressed here is, it is time for the Lord to flex a little bit to remind them why they should fear him. And I'll be, I just personally, I think a little bit of a, a fear of the Lord is a good thing for you. I, I do. Like, if you ever get to the point where like, yeah, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to suffer the discipline of the Lord. Like, if you ever say a phrase like that, I'll be like, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for getting it. Thank you for getting the, that God is supreme. Because I think sometimes we just live life like God's just distant. He's out there. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. It'll all work itself out in the end. Like, that is not the God we serve. We live in the God of the now and the present. He is intimately involved in your life, whether you're acknowledging him or not. A little bit of the fear of the Lord is a good thing for you. It's a good thing for me. Uh, also to remember that, that, that God still reminds me he's in charge. And so this is the time for that. Samuel's like, all right, so we talked about all this. You've struggled with rebellion. Your ancestors struggled with rebellion. He's like, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna reintroduce a little fear of the Lord to you. So we're about to have a thunderstorm. Now, Maybe not a big deal to you, but it's the time of the wheat harvest. So this is between the months of May and June in their culture. There'd be very little rain, hardly any, like, like an actual storm, that would be an anomaly. And you make it a God-sized thunderstorm, I mean, that's just, that is supernatural at that point. So that's what he's saying. It's, it's like, this is so out of season and it's on command. 
like before the day is out, you're gonna have a horrible thunderstorm. And I don't want you to think just thunderstorm, like in Columbia over the past few weeks, we've had some thunderstorms, like some, some good ones. Uh, but I want you to picture a God-sized thunderstorm. What does a thunderstorm look like when God's the one who's trying to make a point, right? And you picture that a little bit, you're like, ooh, that's, that's pretty severe. Yeah, so before that day is over, they're gonna be reminded of the power of God. And so this judgment type, God-sized thunderstorm is about to come. Uh, and then after it does, then we get to verses uh, 19 and 20. Look at this. And the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. Now, there's a couple things here that I think is really interesting. One is they realize Samuel has a unique relationship to the Lord that they don't share. Like, you have something special with the Lord. Will you please pray for us on our behalf? Like, you got something going on that we don't have. And he makes this comment too, basically. Like, avoid the death spiral. This is what I would say. Like, when, when you sin, if you sin, let me not presume you will sin, if you ever sin, or you know people that will. Like, the, the problem is, you know, you'll sin, and I mean, there's all sorts of ways this could work out. But then kind of once you've sinned, you're like, well, I've kind of already sinned. So, like, I could keep going. Like, I mean, like, I've already done it once, so whatever, you know, whatever the sin is. Uh, and so you just kind of build on it. And Samuel's like, okay, stop that kind of thinking. Do, do this, because these people are like, hey, we've sinned, please pray for us. He's like, listen, okay, I get it. You, you have sinned, uh, legitimately, <laughs> you've sinned. Uh, he says, but do this, turn back to the Lord. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. And this is where we're reminded of the constant grace of God, the constant forgiveness of God, the constant mercy of God. That's what Samuel's saying. Like, if you just stop, repent, turn back to the Lord, he will be kind to you. He will bless you. He's gonna, he's gonna pour out mercy on you. Uh, certainly, that's the tenor of the New Testament, which means then that you're never so far from God that you can't find forgiveness. Let me just say this this morning. Somebody here needs to hear that. You're never so far from God that you cannot taste of his forgiveness. Like when Jesus went to that cross, his blood was sufficient to cover any sin of anybody. Like all you've got to do is you've got to just, you've got to come to him. That's the condition. You have to, you're going to have to come to that cross. You have to bow down before the Lord, submit and believe. But when you do, you'll find grace and forgiveness. And then even as a Christian, when sometimes Christians still sin or choose sin, there's still grace, there's still forgiveness. Like in this context, these are the people of God. These are not foreigners. These are not people who don't have a relationship with God. He's like, you have a relationship with God and you've sinned. Now stop sinning and do what God's called you to do. And uh, I love that promise of grace and that reminder that the, the goodness of God is always there for us. Uh, so then we get to verse 21, he says this. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Now, it's very likely that what Samuel means by the empty things is the false gods. He's like, yeah, don't turn back to the false gods. Those are, those are fake. They're not real. They can't give any power. But for us in our culture, we don't relate as well to like false gods because we don't worship false gods in that way, but we do have false gods. And in this regard, I'm reminded of the words of Christ in uh, Mark chapter eight. So in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? 
For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So now as I'm thinking through this, this prescription here for how we kind of live life, I'm reminded of the gods that we have in our culture. The, the gods we have in our culture, perhaps, uh, are maybe the gods of achievement, or the gods of pleasure, um, the gods of profit. Um, and, and we have to be careful there because if you become consumed with those, uh, consumed with wanting to achieve, consuming uh, with profit, with pleasure, like those things can become gods to you. You'll live your life for them and you'll die empty. That's what will happen. Now, now, all of us want a version of those. All of us want some version of achievement, profit, pleasure, uh, biblical appropriate pleasure. Like we all, we all want that. Um, but just like don't let that drive your life. And I think that's what Samuel would say. Like, like let your love of the Lord drive your life. Now, one of the things about being a pastor that is beneficial, and not just me, but the other pastors on staff as well, is that when people get near the end of their life, we tend to be a little more involved. And, uh, and so if you get to the point where your life is coming to an end, which it will for all of us, um, and if I'm still around and the other pastors are still around, we'll probably end up having a conversation with you before the end. I have found that meeting with dying people is very, uh, very beneficial, it's actually very, very therapeutic in many ways because one of the things that is good to do is to ask them about their life. And that as you look back over your life, you know, do you have any thoughts? Do you have any comments? What would you share with those who still have life to live? And, uh, and they can share you some of these life lessons. Um, I think that's a good thing. I think it's really beneficial to think about that, um, to, to process just a, li- a little bit of that. And then also to think about this. I don't want to leave behind a life that, that is full of regret. And again, I believe that's what Samuel's calling them to, is like, let's, let's leave the time of regret, which you guys have experienced very recently because of your sin. Let's stay faithful now from this point forward to the Lord. And then he gives them this final exhortation in verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, that's an important phrase, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Well, let's stop with that for a second. For the Lord will not forsake his people. And the reason he doesn't forsake his people is for the sake of his own name. So what does that mean? Here's what this means. So God does not continue to love these people in their sinful state. uh, And God does not continue to love us who are Christians when we sin against him just because he feels like it, right? Like, you know, I I just love you so much. I just love you. And I just wanna wanna snuggle, you know? Like, that's not... That's not God. He's not doing that. So why does God love us so much? Well, it has nothing to do with feelings. God loves you because he's a covenant-keeping God. That's what it's all about. He's a covenant-keeping God. Like when God makes a promise, it's forever. Like that's the deal, Uh, unless it's conditional. But in this case, this is not conditional. He's a covenant-keeping God, which means then we who are Christians, who are in the new covenant, now by the blood of Christ... Like he loves us because Jesus died for us. <laughs> and like when you submit yourself to that and you, and you come into the family of God, he loves you because he's made a covenant with you. So he's not, he doesn't sway by feelings. Who's swayed by feelings? We're swayed by feelings. <laughs> like, you know, we will choose sin in a heartbeat if we think it'll make us feel good. Like that's just, that's the struggle that we have, which is what he's calling out. He's like, okay, don't stop that. But he's like, God's not like that. God is a covenant keeping God. Verse 23, moreover, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Now, that's curious to me, too, because now Samuel feels like he's actually sinning against the people if he stops praying for them. So uh, it's actually kind of sweet. And then uh, verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. 
Now this is neat because it connects back to the conditional blessing of verse 14. If you'll fear the Lord, serve him, obey his voice. And now in 24, only fear the Lord, serve him faithfully with all your heart for consider what great things he's done for you. As we've been uh, studying uh, 1 Samuel and the Old Testament in general, it's not often that you'll find a phrase or a verse in here that's like, that's, that's for you right there. Um, I think in verse 24 and maybe even verse 14, other than the king thing, uh, this is for you. Verse 24, only fear the Lord, serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he's done for you. Like, that's a word for you today. That is a, a word for you. Just love him, fear him in an appropriate way. And then verse 25, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Now we're to the point again where they've integrated the two, you and your king. So in this journey of, of, of walking through what's going on here, we, we get this experience of relating to the people of God historically, and that's where we are. In fact, I think that's perhaps one of the greatest benefits is this chapter is highly relatable. Like 1 Samuel chapter 12, you have a group of people who call themselves the people of God, but they've struggled with sin. You are the people of God. And maybe I'm taking a step here, but you've probably still wrestled with sin, even though you're the people of God. And then you're wrestling with, even though I've wrestled with sin, will God still forgive me? Will he still love me? And the answer is yes, because in Christ, you're a new creation and he's got this new covenant he's made with you. And then the appeal would be the same, but you too also now choose. Fear the Lord, obey the Lord, serve the Lord. All right? don't, don't do the stuff of the past. Stay faithful now and, and all will be right with you. God will bless you. So like for me, now we're rolling into what we call the, I call the lessons learned. The lessons learned are just principles that we draw from scripture as we study scripture and especially Old Testament because it's not only always a direct one for one, like what are things we learned? So the two things I processed at the end of this as I wrestled with 1 Samuel 12 was one is the legacy idea, the legacy idea of Samuel. And the second was, what do you do if you are part of the people of God, but you've blown it? And so maybe let me separate those two out and, and talk about them for a second. So um, let's go back to the funeral idea. So when I'm, when I'm meeting with people who are dying, uh, they're about to die, uh, one of the questions that, that I ask them is, you know, what do you wish you'd done differently? You know, what, what, are you, what are you glad of? You know, that kind of stuff. Process their life a little bit. Like you are leaving a legacy. You don't even have to be consciously aware of it. You're leaving a legacy, either a good or bad one. So now I want you to picture that you're, you're on your deathbed if you will. Like, I know it's a little morbid. Hey, welcome to church. Um, it's, it's deathbed. So you've got this thought of, if I were going to be dying right now, what is my legacy? And you have to think about it in several areas. Like, like with my spouse, if you're married, uh, with my family as a parent, uh, in my workplace, in the church, you know, like with all these categories of like, like, you know, if I think back over these things, what would people say about me? Now, after I, after I think through that, what are things that I wish they'd be saying about me? Like, nobody's gonna be saying this about me, but I wish they were. So in that regard, what if now, when I'm meeting with one of these people who's about to die, what if they were 20 years younger and they could make that choice? And then I think back, like you, right now, sitting here, most of you, <laughs> you're that 20 years younger person. What changes do you need to make in your life right now so that when you get further on and you'll be leaving this legacy, that when you stand before the Lord, you'll be proud of it. And maybe those are changes that you should make right now instead of waiting until later. And uh, there's a number of ways this works itself out. But, but, but my thought is this. So, um, and you're all familiar with this concept a little bit. Like if I'm walking down a road and I turn just one step and I continue to walk for a mile, how different is where I'll end up from where I would have been if I'd stayed that one way? Uh, it's crazy. 
over time, one little step can take you a, a long way in a different direction. What is the one step you need to take right now that's going to change your direction with your family, with your friends, as, as a follower of the Lord? Like, what is that one step? As you're sitting there going, I need to, I should. You know, there's all sorts of ways they could play out. Um, but one of the ways, actually, I was thinking about this, and it's just real practical because um, I have a friend who works with Family Life Marriage Ministry, and um, Family Life is doing a conference in Augusta, Georgia, September 8th through 10th. And um, he gave me a stack of brochures and a discount code. So if you're thinking, like, one of the things I need to do is work on my, my, my marriage, um, September 8th through 10th, there's a conference going on. I've, I've got a discount code. I can hook you up. I've got a brochure. Uh, but that might be one area where you feel like you need to make a, make a change. So that was one. The other side of this is what do you do if you're a follower of the Lord, but you feel like you've blown it, like you've really messed it up? Um, so this is where I go back to a scripture I memorized years ago <laughs> as, as one who realized he blew it from time to time. First uh, John 1, 9. Great memory verse, by the way, if you ever decide to do this, that's what I did. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, one thing I want you to know about this verse is it's actually written to Christians. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. This is not to people who are outside of Christ. These are those who are in Christ, meaning that Christians who blew it, now if they come, they confess, that God will forgive you and he'll restore you and he will cleanse you and you'll be, uh, you'll be right with God. And so I, just, I want to remind you this morning that, that God offers forgiveness to you. This is not just some distant people, but, but the call is the same. Yeah, you've blown it. There's been times in your life where you, you've chosen poorly. Even as a Christian, maybe, you've made some bad choices. But, but don't compound that mistake. Go back to the words that Samuel said. Listen, just don't keep doing that. Don't, don't keep adding these frustrations. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the reminder this morning of your grace and your mercy as a covenant-keeping God. Thank you for the love of Jesus with his sacrifice upon the cross that has purchased for us forever the grace of God in the new covenant. But Lord, if we're honest before you, we will just tell you there are times where we still struggle. There's times where we still blow it. And we ask your forgiveness, Father, and we need to repent. But when we do, we will find that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is the sweetness of putting our trust in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.